I had learned to be flexible and adapt to ever-changing, challenging situations. So I had learned that skill, but I almost, when I started, forgot about it. And then when we just were having such a great time, we forgot to book things for the next night or this is just how it happened. I was probably a two-minute panic before I realized, oh, wait, this is kind of awesome. Hey everyone, I'm Tristan, and this is the Backpacker Society Show, where we hope to inspire you to travel by talking with those who've already done it, giving you their tips and insight on the places they know best, and sharing knowledge on specific travel topics so you can have more authentic adventures. In this episode, my guest takes us to northern Albania and Lemnos, Greece. We also talk about staying healthy on the road and planning things with little notice during your travels. So stick around and enjoy. You're listening to the Backpackers Society Show with your host, Tristan. Hey guys, for the Backpackers Society, I'm Tristan. Welcome to the show, everyone. I hope you've been doing well wherever you are. Hopefully you've been enjoying some of the early fall weather the best you can, taking some decent hikes or exploring new areas. But as always, whether you're new to the show or you listened before, thanks for coming by and hanging out. And I hope you'll be inspired by travel today. Have you been thinking about heading to Europe, but maybe you want to see some areas that are lesser traveled? Then stick around because my guest shares some pretty awesome insight in areas that aren't as necessarily traveled compared to other popular areas in Europe. Originally from Australia, my guest today is a mental health and addiction advocate who's traveled the likes of Europe, Asia, and Africa. You won't find her much on social media, but if you head to her hometown of Melbourne or head to one of the Greek islands, you just might run into her in person. My guest today is Amy, and as I mentioned, Amy talks about one of the Greek islands, Lemnos, and her strong ties to that area, as well as her time in northern Albania. She also talks about how she stays healthy on the road while traveling, and also staying flexible and being able to plan things with little to no notice during her trips. After the interview, I'll share some stories and advice as far as staying healthy on the road and planning things last minute and being flexible. But for now, let's roll into our interview with Amy. I've been good. I've been good. That's good. How are you doing? Not bad. A lot of home-based activities for me. Mm -hmm. Likewise. As we can't go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely get you there. I definitely get you Mm -hmm. there. Um, Where's your head at for for this? Have you ever done something like this before or how are you feeling there? No, not quite. Um, Some various interviews uh, for various things, but not a podcast before, no. Okay, interesting. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did a lot of things when I was in school and uni um, with certain unions and we did a lot. It was more around public speaking and then I was recorded and interviewed, but no, never a a true podcast before. So real quick, was that that like about what you studied or what were were the topics were there about? So back back in the old high school days and even primary school, I did like a lot of sustainability things. So 
Um, and tennis, and tennis was a big one too. I went around Australia playing tennis, so I had a lot of sort of very brief um, audio interviews, if you like, that I did. Um, mainly was just um, sort of video interviews and stuff like that. Uh, and then at uni, yeah, it was a little bit around what I was studying in psychology. Um, I wrote, it was an article, and then they sort of interviewed about why I wrote that article. See, you're mm. already dropping some things I'm going to ask you about anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into it. Um, first off, I'm going to ask some things to get to know you more as a person, and then we'll go from sure. there. Does that sound good? Sound good. All right. So, first question. You have a history of involvement with sports. You just mentioned tennis. Um, mm-hmm. You've also umpired volleyball games as well. So, I want to know... Did you participate in any other competitive sports or activities in any way? And were there any that you were highly skilled in or approached at a more serious level? Tennis was probably the big one for me. I always started, I started off swimming and and dancing and doing gymnastics when I was young, but that didn't last long because as a kid, you get bored pretty quickly. (laughs) But tennis was the one that, that did stick for me. Um, and I was playing it relatively competitively, like most days going around often to um, different states in Australia until I was about 16, 17 when I stopped because I got injured. And then I haven't really picked it up since then, which is really a shame because it's such a fantastic sport. Even socially, I'd love to get back into it one day. I also think uh, a lot of it, when you're around 16, 17 and you're approaching that latter end of high school, a competitive sport detracts from other things that you find important, like kind of finding your social position and learning more about yourself and obviously studying and then making that move to university if that's what you want to do. So there are silver linings in everything. When I stopped playing, I sort of found other hobbies and focused more on academics. That's fair. Um, so when did you first start mm. playing tennis? I was nine. Awesome. And then Mm -hmm. um, what exactly happened as far as the injury? Started off sort of strange. So I had had to have toe surgery, which wasn't meant to be a long recovery. It was only supposed to be a few weeks off. Um, And then I could get straight back into running and getting fit and then training again to play tennis. But then I started getting a lot of other complications, like other health issues. I think my body was so not used to being sedentary because I never was. I was sort of playing, even if it was training, for three-plus hours a day um, inside or outside of school times as well. When I stopped, it just my body did not respond well at all. And then I started getting stomach issues. And then um, shortly after, I had a hip issue, and now I still have that hip issue today, which is the main thing, I guess, that's stopping me from doing it now. And also I've just, I've lost where I was and it was always like my one sport that I really wanted to compete in. So going back to it socially wasn't enough for me. Like I always wanted to get to the level I was at and it just wouldn't happen now, which is sad. But like I said before, it would be great to pick it up again socially and after post COVID if we're allowed to go out a little bit. (laughs) I get you. (laughs) Yeah. Next question. So you had a tradition with friends in your teens where you'd go to midnight movie releases. I'm curious to know, was this just with the Twilight film series during the height of its popularity? (laughs) 
Or were there other movies that you and your friends made a point to check out at their midnight release? Definitely in the teen years, that was probably one of the most exciting things to do. And I somehow got lucky because a lot of midnight releases in Australia were always the night or the eve of my birthday. So I think one of the last Harry Potters that came out, maybe the second last or the last one, that was on the eve of my birthday too. And that was one of the most social activities you could do when you're sort of like a mid-teen, you know, your parents aren't letting you go out unsupervised, I suppose. So that was like a big thing that we did. And it fit in well with like my routines because um, oftentimes I would skip school to play competitive tennis. So I, I was up late, either reading and studying then, and then I would be playing, you know, get up late and play tennis sort of all throughout the day and didn't do my schoolwork in the other part of the day. But yeah, it was a big tradition. It was fun. It was a time I got to see my friends as well when I wasn't doing other things. Mm, that makes sense too, because I guess going back to the tennis for a second, I'm sure at least at one point that took up a lot of your time as well. Mm, definitely. Definitely. Okay. So you mentioned earlier, of course, about your, your studies. So I want to focus on that for a little bit. Among sure. all your studies, you have a bachelor's in psychology at Monash University in Australia. And you also took a course mm -hmm. in forensic psychology at Maastricht University in the Netherlands. Subjects aside mm -hmm. for a moment, what were some of the bigger differences and takeaways for you from studying in Europe versus Australia? Huge differences. Um, I've studied twice overseas. The forensic psychology was the one that I did last year. And I actually did it with a lot of, it, it, was, an, it was for Australian students to come and have the opportunity to study forensic psychology, which for psychology students in Australia is big because forensic psychology hasn't doesn't really have a huge platform or foundation in Australia yet, at least for people to study at an undergraduate level. Um, there's some research teams set up all around Australia, but it's it's big, particularly in the Netherlands and Scandinavian countries in Europe. So I really wanted to get over there and study it. It's a big difference in the not just the content but the style of learning in Australia or at least my degree psychology I did science um, various other science subjects like physiology and pharm pharmacology had a lot more emphasis on on group work and public speaking and grasping those sort of like more real life skills whereas psychology was very individual focused if that makes sense it was a lot of self-study self-learning there wasn't much room to do a lot of team-based stuff. Whereas when I went to Europe and studied forensic psychology, that was their entire educational model. And I often said if I were to come back and do honours or a master's in psychology, I would, I would just go straight to Europe because it's so much more collaborative. It's so much like the workforce, so much more than just individual study. There's so much more to offer. Um, it was a, One of our biggest projects was centred around a debate, which you I would have never, ever got doing studying psychology in Australia and it was the best experience because public speaking and and speaking to a foreign audience or other academics like in your discipline or other related disciplines is such an important skill you know and even that was only a month of study we obviously did have our own self-sourced written component which which was nice too it was just such a different model every single every single lesson wasn't just a lecture it was completely interactive splitting off into groups there was there was not a single lesson or lesson plan 
that was just self-sourced learning. It was all about talking to others, talking about to the professors. They would give you all their time. Yeah, it, it was great. I love studying. Um, love studying in Europe. It was a great, great experience. So you also studied in Italy too, right? Yeah, that's right. So that was it. Was that sort of the similar experience as well? Just as far as the dynamic of uh, you know group um, learning, group based, yeah, like that? yeah. Okay. Similar. So that was yeah, and it, that was with Monash. So Monash has Monash University has a campus in Prato, which is I think about twenty minute train ride from Florence, and so there was a bit of um, Monash's discipline that kind of came with it because it, obviously it wasn't Monash campus, but it was completely different. That that was a different, completely different course as well. That was about yeah. astronomy and science communication, and it brought religion into it and art and obviously what better place to study that than than Italy itself with Galileo's museum and so many other museums to do with science and art and religion in Florence that you could study so yeah that was like a completely whole different experience and that was definitely as well even though for Monash students we're not used to that collaboration all the time because it was it was an intensive course as well it was just completely focused on that and group work which I I love so that was a great experience also. And it's a really nice, it's, I really implore people if they're in their studies to take, if if you don't, if you can't or you're a bit hesitant to do an entire semester overseas, short courses or intensive courses once a year or in the summer even for two months or less are such a great way to incorporate traveling, having sort of a base so you're also um, able to like consult and talk to and make friends with the locals and study something that you're passionate about. Okay, mm-hmm. next question. You're committed to services for communities and health and wellness, especially in mental health, addiction, and disabilities. Why are mm-hmm. these things important to you? Oh, well, that's a good question. I think it goes back. My mom has always been a child protection worker. She works for the Victorian government here where we live. So I've always had community services front of mind um, even towards the latter part of my studies, going into sort of science, but then also health-related sciences. Um, and then as soon as I got into university, my first job in university was working with people with disabilities as a support worker, which was such an amazing experience. Not only did it suit the flexibility of, of being at uni, because you could basically choose your own shifts, but I got to I got to meet people that have disability, all types of disabilities and form such a different connection. Um, and it was one of the best things I've ever done. I, I say to this day that initial job that I that I had working with people with disabilities has really sort of shaped who I am and it's it's just extrapolated to so many other parts of my life as well because you can form a connection with someone that isn't verbal but it's an amazing connection nonetheless. And they became my family. I worked with these clients for four years up until recently, only a few months ago when I changed roles um, and obviously taking the time out that I, I did to travel. And they became family. It was a really great experience. Uh, I also have been studying alongside finishing my degree, drug and alcohol addiction, and it's called an AOD skill set course, so alcohol and other drugs, mm-hmm. which ties in with what I did with pharmacology at Monash University as well. So that's nice and it ties in really nicely as well with psychology. And now my newest role is working as a behaviour support practitioner, which means 
So I work with people with disabilities that have what we call behaviours of concern. For example, self-harm, uh, harm to others, so initiating sort of aggressive conduct um, or um, just damaged, damaging property, throwing things, for example, and working, creating a behaviour support plan for them to sort of work on strategies and the best way in the framework of positive development and utilising their skill base to work with those behaviours and how in, how, trying how, like how best to make them feel less anxious about certain things and hopefully exhibit less behaviours of concern that are distressing to them and often their housemates that they live with. So, yeah, that's my new role. That's been good. And I've incorporated a little bit of everything because I'm working with people with treatment orders, so bringing in the forensics. Um, some uh, drug and alcohol addiction, even though it is technically a drug, you may not think of it, caffeine addiction is a, is a big thing. Um, in what I work now, and that's a, actually a big in, uh, precursor to exhibiting certain behaviours, particularly with people with intellectual disabilities. So it's been great. Yeah, I've been incorporating a lot of different disciplines and a lot of different things that I've studied and experienced. Is it mainly older clients, younger, what mm. ages specifically? So when I first started working in disability, like I said, during uni, I wasn't working with sort of the older cohorts, um, mainly with physical disabilities at that time, as well as intellectual, but older cohorts. Now, um, the realm of behaviours, uh, typically a trend that we do see, even though it's very early on, me working as a behaviour support practitioner is oftentimes certain um, behaviours may abate as people get older. So slightly more younger cohort now. But because of COVID, it's my role's a little bit more versatile at the moment. Usually my role would be as in, as a practitioner, you obviously have to keep learning and adding to your portfolio and researching, but it'd be more about getting out to the group homes or where a client lives and engaging with them and observing these various types of behaviours and trying to figure out a behaviour support plan and do a f functional assessment from there. But at the moment, it's really hard to do it with COVID because a lot of that isn't deemed an essential service and my organisation is an in-kind provider, which means we don't have the funding to do that. So I'm sort of on the periphery until things open up a little bit more. And also good because I'm doing a lot more training, so I'll feel a lot more confident going out and doing that without a lot of supervision. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I would say it is a slightly younger cohort that I'm working with now, um, but still over 18-year-olds. We don't work in young juvenile respite houses. Got you. And you're making the most out of your time getting that training in. So mm. That's great. That's right. What a better time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question for now. In five words or less, describe your personality. Mm. Favorite question. <laughs> That's not my two words. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Playful. Um... Fiery, friendly, generous, and oh, it's hard. What's the last one? <laughs> Five words or less. And oh, okay. Well, we'll stop at that one then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add in general, or are you ready to move on? Let's move on. 
All right. So we're going to focus now on northern Albania and Lemnos, Greece. Correct. So I know with uh, northern Albania, you went there on your first trip to the Balkans recently. And you actually meant to pass through, but decided to stay longer. And then as, mm-hmm. far as, as far as Lemnos, you've been going there for years and you actually have family there. But let's start with Albania. First, why did you say, you know, your best memories from your time there uh, during your trip was there? And what are some things to see and do there? Sure. Um, so North Albania is a gem. Um, I'm really glad that I actually ended up there because I was trying to decide, well, my best friend and I were trying to decide between Serbia and Albania. And it got to the point where we just could not decide. We sort of had um, a time frame where we only really had five weeks in the Balkans. We had to be in Budapest by a certain date, and that was really our only time constraint. But Serbia and Albania, it kind of, we kind of had to choose one to be somewhat on the track. Well, we didn't have to, but we just thought that we should. And it got to the point where we were honestly asking just random strangers in the airports, have you been to Albania or Serbia? Which one do you recommend? And it just somehow happened that everyone that we asked in the airports was like, no one asks about Albania, but you need to go there. It's a completely hidden gem. And before it completely booms in tourism you've just got to visit if you're on your way there just go Serbia is wonderful um and if you have time go there too but if you have to choose one choose the one that hasn't got the most attention and you'll be most pleasantly surprised so I made my way to the capital city Tirana and I try to avoid capital cities as much as possible um I just like to get out into small villages and nature but it's it's good, obviously, there's more people to talk to in the capital cities and then you can sort of get a plan on where you want to go after that and they can give you recommendations, like people where they would go lo- locally or where they've sent other backpackers. So, yeah, I stayed in Tirana for a few days and we made a couple of day trips up into mountain villages, which was just absolutely stunning. And it's such a dichotomy between a lot of other places, for example, Croatia, which is so heavily touristed and built on tourism, um, a lot of Western restaurants, uh, things like that, whereas Albania, particularly north, I didn't do much of the south, there was nothing like that and it was it was fantastic, just complete local organic produce, untouched places. So, yeah, after Tirana, I made my way up to Škoda where I planned to do a hike from Velbone to Teth, which is the best experience. Uh, Škoda was sort of a almost near a port town, very small, very quaint. All those old Balkan countries have a beautiful um, landmark castle, which is, you know, their landmark. Uh, always was just great hiking up there or bike riding up there. And then we only stayed there a couple of nights because from there is the only place that you can get to this hike, which is Along the 10 peaks of the Balkans, this this one Velbone to Teth hike is one of those peaks. And it was, so we took a ferry. No, sorry. We drove, left sort of at the crack of dawn from Škoda and we drove to where a ferry would take us to Velbone or close to Velbone and then we drove again. So it was a driver ferry and a drive. And it sort of, even though it was said to be planned, you, you quickly realise in the Balkans particularly, 
there's no plants <laughs> at all, which is kind of, it's got its own enchantment in itself because every time you go to, the only way really, there's they don't really have an online system where you can book a bus to and fro capital cities or where you want to go. You just kind of rock up at the bus depot and just ask if anyone's going in that rough direction and you hop on and you wish for the best. So that's sort of what we did there. We got on the ferry. There was a lot of English-speaking people um, there and also a lot of actual people in the Balkans also speak English really well. And that just that ferry ride was spectacular, absolutely beautiful, sort of plummeting caves around you and you could see at the very top there was there was ice forming already and this was in September. It's just stunning. And then we got to where we needed to get a bus and we thought it was organised but we sort of, I think we just ended up going with a local. I don't actually know who he was. And he somehow took us to a homestay place. And that was one of the best experiences too. It was like this beautiful homestay in the middle of the Albanian wilderness. And just this family, this one family that um, obviously hosts a lot of people that want to do this hike from various different countries. And we had a group. It was me, my best friend, two other ladies, and then sort of all men like backpackers and travelers and we became like a great group and this was I think 20 euros to do this entire experience stay at this homestay they cooked us a fantastic dinner uh traditional Albanian obviously what they have every night and they live obviously in a completely local and secluded village in Albania and they packed us lunch the next day and gave us breakfast before the hike gave us a map it was a beautiful, absolutely wonderful experience. And then the hike was a whole day and there was two checkpoints along the way so you kind of knew you were going in the right direction uh, where you could grab a local Albanian tea or you could get a water or a soft drink, bottled water um, or soft drink or if you just wanted to sit down because it was an exhausting hike. <laughs> and you could go at your own pace. People went at, at different paces but probably best to obviously stick by someone in case you get lost, but it's just absolutely one of the best experiences. So if anyone's listening to this, go there <laughs> now or when you can. And once you get to Teth, after the Velbone to Teth hike, you there's a few sort of, um, they're not usually running. I think September's kind of becoming the quiet season, but if you go, either season's great. There's a few restaurant owners that are, there and they have like their restaurant and then there's maybe one lodge that they have and again we thought that there would be a bus waiting to take us back to Skoda which is the original point that I mentioned before but there just isn't so you just have to go around asking you know does anyone is anyone making their way through to Skoda or um in the nearest future we don't have any plans because you can't book anything anyways but um or if you're not heading to Skoda can I, we have a bed or something like that. It's, you know, getting really cold. And there's always someone, they make a call and someone comes and picks you up and takes you where you need to go. And it's usually about five euro and they're just delighted to have a chat. And it was really funny, actually, that that ride from Teth straight back to Skoda. So we bypassed like the ferry, everything. It was just a, a drive straight there. Was one of the funniest drives because there's not a road. It was just um, stones and rocks and so the van that was sort of in a rickety shape anyway was bouncing all over the place there's no seat belts there and it, was, it was such a great experience because th- those are the memories that you remember just 
10 people that I just formed a friendship with five days ago or a week ago, um, my best friend in the whole world. And we don't know where we're going. It's dark. We don't know these two people, but they're so kind. They picked us up dinner on, along the way. We're just in some almost beaten, about to fall apart truck of theirs, making our way to God knows where, hopefully Skoda, and it, rocking all over the place. And it was so many memories just jam-packed into those few days. It was the best time, Tristan, absolutely the best time. <laughs> That's awesome. I normally say don't get into a truck with strangers, but I had, you know, 10 other guys with me, so I think I would have been okay. And everyone's just so pleasant, honestly, the, particularly those local villages I'm talking about, that everyone is just so welcoming and it's the best time, honestly. <laughs> when you said that you went to this, uh, you know, the random home, was it, mm. just, was it just your group that was there of 10 people or were, were there other travelers as well maybe not a part of your group that were there as well yeah so I'm not really sure how it worked out but it somehow ended up because nothing was planned or arranged that everyone that I had met or because along the Balkans you often see some people along the way and as you would know um, in different countries or different hostels and there's a chain of hostels so a lot of people that I had met and made friends with in Tirana and the hostel in Skoda. It just so happened that we were in this this homestay. But there were a lot of people on the ferry that were doing the same hike and they must have gone to nearby homestays because we could sort of see smoke coming from another like nearby location, which I assume was another homestay, and then we saw them along the hike the next day. Got you. And, yeah, so it, there, I think there was probably about three homestays. You can't, they're completely at least a kilometre away from each other, but they're basically at the starting point of that hike that you're, want, that you're wanting to do, the Velbone to Teth hike. And actually a really funny story about that homestay is I thought that I'd hit the gem. I was like, I'm going to tell everyone to go here, but apparently a lot of people had heard about it as well because they'd come from the same hostel. And the day that we arrived, it was a Sunday, and then a few weeks later, we met someone, I think it was in Croatia, and the, they had actually done the Saturday night and then they had done, so they were doing the hike as we were arriving there. They had started on the Sunday, finished the hike Sunday, whereas we did it on the Monday. And they said something about this home. So there was, they got to this home, they got to this place where the homestay is. The family was all inside. They thought that these two people by the fire were part of the family because they were sort of doing some some sort of ritual or something to um so that they could eat this I think it was a cow that they killed previously to for everyone to have dinner and they asked them to join and so they thought oh okay well this is just the family's traditions um maybe we're all involved in the meal preparation for the night and next day and then they realized later on that it wasn't the family at all. It was a few other tourists doing this, thinking thinking that they should be sort of hunting and killing their own produce. And so they just started to make this cow, like to hunt down this cow and then perform this sort of ritual that they thought that everyone in Albania was doing. And then that cow was the cow that was that we had the previous night because we were the ones coming on Sunday. It was a very strange story, but it stuck in my mind because... How you meet someone weeks later and your stories connect and it, in such a strange and funny way. <laughs> <laughs> that is a pretty unique way to have a connection with other travelers for sure. <laughs> yep, that's right. Very unique. 
Okay. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to Albania before we move on to Lemnos? Just to go there and do the south because I didn't get, I didn't have time to do it, but apparently it's beautiful. The south is more known for the beaches, um, which because it was getting slightly cooler in September, we thought, yeah, let's do more forest uh, mountain and save the beaches for another time when I ultimately come back and visit the Balkans. But depending on what you want, my advice always, I don't know, try to go somewhat off peak. It's always the best. There's still people, but it's it's not super crowded. Depends what you like, obviously. But um, do this hike. Do this hike and have the best time ever. Okay. <laughs> I'm Nas. Yes. Like I mentioned you have some family there. But talk a bit about your connection to the island. And then, of course, share some things to see and do there. So my grandparents were born in Lemnos and they had my auntie, so my mom's sister, over there as well before they made the journey to Australia. So obviously a very strong connection to Lemnos. I've been going most years of my life. This would be the first year that I haven't gone. But at least I spent some good time there last year because I was on a huge eight, ten-month trip. And it's it's a stunning island. It's not it's not super well known in regards to the touristed islands or the touristic islands to go to in Greece, which I think gives it more enchantment. It's a very arid, rocky island, which you think which doesn't sound too appealing when I say it verbally, but when you go, it's just got its own charm. And all of my friends who I've brought there, you know, they've been, why can't we just go straight to Mykonos? Why can't we go to Paros? You know, those well-known ones in the Cyclades. And I said, just please, just let's stop in Limnos first. I promise you'll love it. And they're honestly, they're setting up a long-term plan to buy property there. <laughs> they're so in love with it. It's a great island. And um, obviously having a fam- family connection there, there are still some family members that are there. Most have, have immigrated to either Australia or various parts of South Africa. We have a lot of family in South Africa and, and America as well. Mostly Australian, the ones obviously I have a closer connection with. And um, also Lemnos. So my grandfather actually just celebrated his 100th birthday a few days ago. And there was a big celebration, even though he's here in in Melbourne with me. But Mm. it traveled all the way across the world back to Lemnos and there was a big celebration because everyone knew of him in Lemnos in the village called Gondias, which is where he was born. And it was really beautiful to hear that John or Yanni was has reached 100 and he's doing well and it was a big celebration for them. It, w- it was a really nice thing and we heard a lot from the cousins and everyone in Lemnos and it was a beautiful moment. Happy 100 to him. Yeah, <laughs> he got a letter from the Queen and everything. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Day to remember. <laughs> okay, so share some things, some specific things to see and do there. Sure. So... Lemnos and most Greek islands, firstly, I would advise to rent a car because you're not, there's no buses, there's no transport. I mean, you can hop on a donkey, but there's actually few and far between on the islands as well. And I don't think the farmer's going to let you take their donkey for the day. <laughs> or you can just try to hitchhike, but, you know, it's best if you have your own car. You can actually get around. Lemnos is one of the biggest islands in Greece, actually. It's shaped like a fish. It's up quite north and... It was actually part of Asia, Asia Minor when my grandparents were born there in Turkey because it's really quite close to the coast of Turkey, which um, was really nice because I was when I was in Turkey as well later on in that year, 
you can see in, if it's a very clear day in the very distance where Lesvos, which is an island right next to Lemnos, and Lemnos are, and it's, I mean, Turkey and Greece don't have great political affiliation, so oftentimes they're, they're, at those lookout points there's actually sort of strong military presence because, um, you know, they're almost constantly feuding. But nonetheless, I digress. So Lemnos, one of them, the capital city or the, the port town is called Midana. That's beautiful to go to. Every village, how I think of Limnos is every single village, the uh, villages are basically what make up Limnos, um, and every single village is either known for a taverna, which is the restaurant, and there are two main tavernas um, that are the biggest ones. They sort of, they're, in my opinion, the best tavernas are the ones that the chefs have grown up in Limnos, never left Limnos, only cooked traditional Greek food. But then we've also got this other sort of movement happening in Limnos, which is very recent, where the food, the chefs are traveling kind of all over the world. So they're getting that sort of fusion experience and they've brought it back to Limnos, which we've never had because Limnos is so secluded and it's just that typical Greek food. And they're bringing this sort of fusion in, which is actually really, really nice. And it's, it's really only two restaurants there which I will remember the name of shortly. <laughs> I think it's Sardes is one of them. And I'll remember the last one later. But so Lemnos is a lot of, a lot of Greek places. They're driven around food, right? So the Tavetinas are always like the, the place you go at all times of the day. And your day in Lemnos consists of usually waking up really late which can be hard for a lot of people because they're morning people, but you wake up really late because you usually have dinner really, really, really late. <laughs> so you wake up around midday or 10, 11 a.m. You spend, everything's a very slow-moving atmosphere in Lemnos. It's village life, you know. You might wake up at the crack of dawn, obviously, if you have a farm and then you'd have like mid-morning siesta. And then you spend the day at the beach. Lemnos is sort of divided into two parts of the day, eating and going to the beach. And the beaches around are just absolutely wonderful. Again, they're divided into where the villages are. And then there's different landmarks. If you like to obviously see, like know a bit more of the history of Lemnos, there's absolutely like wonderful places to see. There's a, there's this one in the north part of the island. It's called the Cave of Philoctetus, sort of the ancient legend about Philoctetus where he was trapped in a cave Um for many, many years, and that's sort of where that cave is supposed to be. And then there's various amphitheatres that have been partially destroyed and trying to be remade across the whole island. There's Boliochni, which is sort of in the central, I call it the fish part, the tail part of the island because I said it looks like a fish. The tail part of the island, it's one of the oldest civilizations in Europe, obviously completely worn down, but it's trying to be preserved as best as possible. Um, and then surrounded by different beaches, different tavernas, arid, rocky, beautiful land to the sea. And then we've got some sand dunes in the upper north of the island, which are actually huge sand dunes. I've done a lot of sand dunes throughout Europe, and somehow Limnos, our you know, tiny out-of-the-way island, has some of the biggest sand dunes I've ever seen. You can actually get lost, and they're very hot, and they're very, very spectacular, and it's, it is beautiful. And so Limnos has a it's not just the coast 
I'm trying to portray. It's not just the coast that's beautiful. It's all this arid mainland and probably one of the best landmarks you can see. It's called the Church in the Cave. It's a hike from, it's a hike firstly to find where you park the car. But so you park your car or whatever, however transport you're getting to get there. And then it's about this 45, 50 minute hike that you just have to rely on your intuition or a local. So, you know, I've done it many, many times. So my friends were stressing where to go, but I've, I've known where to go for ages. You completely get lost in this rocky, arid, um, obviously land of Lemnos. And then you come across these stairs that go up into this cave and you don't really know what to expect. And there's no rails. It's just like a completely erect stairs. And then you come into this cave and it has literally a cave, a church in a cave, a cliff face, and that looks overlook, overlooks the entire bay of Lemnos, and it's spectacular. It's a walk that I did almost every morning or on the way back. I mentioned, uh, I didn't mention, but there's one club <laughs> in Lemnos called Kinky, and usually you kind of go home at about 6 a.m. from that club because it doesn't open till 2 or 3 or even late, earlier in the morning, 7 a.m., and what I always used to do is, I'd used to, on the way back to Condias, which is where we have our house, uh, back from the club, I'd stop and then I'd do a morning walk to this church in the cave. You watch the sunrise and you hear the farmers are the only ones up, everyone's asleep or coming home from this one club on the entire island. And it's it's one of still the best sights I've ever come across. And it's beautiful and and you walk back and then you you go home and then you sleep and then you go back to the beach and you do it all over again <laughs> it's a good lifestyle Tristan it's it's nice it's very it's very soothing a lot of people come um like i said a lot of families emigrated for a better life um and more opportunities for their families or immediate families to australia south africa america america england etc cetera, etc cetera. but the one thing about Limnos is you, they always come back every summer. They come, either the grandparents are too old or their kids come back with their kids or um, whoever it may be. I bring some of my own friends and they just, every year it's a thing that everyone does. So you know a lot of people when you go back every year because it's like this island takes you to a whole other world of relaxation. And we call it Lemnos or Greece time is probably like a, a thing that people hear of a lot. But Lemnos time is even more relaxing than just Greece time because there's no worries in the world at all. Things will just get done when they get done. Um, work, obviously there's still work and most most of it's farm work, but in the main town there's obviously still doctors and hospitals and and shops running. But everything just seems so much more relaxed. So it's yeah, this island is lifestyle as well as all the spectacular sights there are to see. So I recommend spending time there. I always recommend spending time in every place for as long as you can. Being on the move is great, but really getting into the gist and vibe of things is is great. And this something I forgot to mention, this one, this island is it's got a Bulgarian um side to it, if you like. So there's Russian and Bulgarians on the east side which is the tail end of the side there's this sort of bulgarian civilization that's set up and russian and there's that side of the island's more windy 
So if you like windsurf, power, windsurfing, I think that's what it's called. I obviously haven't done it. Um, then that's where you go, and it's a lot. It's a it's a completely different vibe to the rest of the island, which was was um sort of it was initially everyone was quite hesitant that it wasn't just Greek people everywhere in the island or Greek people that have emigrated and you know they have ancestors from Greece but it's actually given the island a quite a different vibe which I really enjoy um because you can go to that side of the island and be part of a whole nother world you can obviously do more because the rest of the island the water is quite still you can obviously do a lot more water activities but then it's also a very hippie vibe in the sense that everyone's sort of living or staying in huts and teepees and it's a very communal different vibe to the rest of that island so yeah this island's very versatile it's got a bit of everything for everyone. And the first time I ever met someone that has ever even heard of it was at the Athens airport. And they actually were going to go to Lesvos and then we talked, which is close. And then they swapped because he obviously had no plans really. He swapped his plane and came to Lemnos with us and spent probably longer than we did there, <laughs> which was kind of cool. And he, because he said he loves, he loves, um, paragliding, windsurfing. So he stayed at that part of the island, I think, for a number of weeks and he could still be there. I don't know, but that's a pretty cool story because he just completely changed his course of action and went to Lemnos and he has no Greek ancestry or anything. And, yeah, so it was great. I think more people should hear about this island because it's it's awesome. I still obviously want to preserve the um, – of people with fa- family heritage and ancestry coming back to the island. But just like every Greek island, everyone's so welcoming. I had brought friends that, you know, don't speak a word of Greek or have no Greek heritage and everyone just got along fantastically. Quick questions. So mm-hmm. you said a bit earlier um, people were kind of hesitant when they realized it wasn't just Greek people. I'm guessing those are other travelers or... No, more so the locals, I think. Hmm. The locals sort of wanted to keep a little bubble. Um, I can't speak for them, obviously, but Lemnos was so well-preserved all this time. It's nothing like, I don't know if you've been to other Greek islands, um, it's nothing like Mykonos or Paros or Santorini. Absolutely not. That That's completely overrun by tourism. Still, you know, Santorini, if you've been there, one of the best views I've also ever seen, objectively just and I've been there four times. I can't get enough. It's great. But Lemnos is nothing like that. There's, there is no tourism. I think their rental car industry is it's just for really families that come for the summer. You know, there's, there's yeah. no one else really knows about it other than that. And you really have to be able to speak Greek to, to get anything because they don't often bother. It's a simple life, you know, like their farmers, like why would they need to learn English? So you kind of got to have someone with you that, does know at least a little bit of Greek. So there was, I guess, a bit of resistance, but just like everything, uh, I think more and more cultures can expand a place and it it's for it's positive because different cultures, whether what they carry, their their food, um, their activities, anything to do with their culture. And when you sort of combine it and word of mouth share each other's stories it's it turns into a really great place and Lemnos being versatile as it is now is I think a huge positive got you 
And then you said, of course, about the the fusion of the food. What、oh. um, you know, what what cultures as far as food were kind of mixed into the the Greek cuisine there? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, the most typical fusion you think of is Asian fusion, but I think these two Greek rest, these two Limnian restaurants, they've combined. So it's it's based in Greek, but I like to call it like a more modern Greek. So you've got the Greek food, which is, you know, dolmades, which is rice wrapped in vine leaves. You've got moussaka,、um, meat and a lot of potatoes, fish like all fresh fish, and it's very like it's olive oil, it's salt, it's you know basic cheese and feta. Like that's the flavors, the Mediterranean sort of diet. But then you've got It's a lot more of a dynamic dish when you go to these other two restaurants because they've done how you'd cook rooster in Greece. They've done it, but they've added sort of other spices and flavors that they've obviously accumulated from learning and studying and cooking all over the world. So it's it's not one other fusion. You know, you, well, you've got you know Italian obviously somewhat comes close to Greece.、Um, so you've got a bit of that, but it's it's nice and luminous because you still can't really find a Pizza, for example, that <laughs>、so、you can never find a、um, a curry, or you can't find a. I mean, I I love curry and I love pizza, but you or you can't find a Chinese dish, or you can not definitely not find sushi.、Um, so they've still preserved that, you know. You may be craving it by the time you <laughs> leave Limnos, but it's still they've preserved that. Like it's just Greek meat. It's probably one of my friends is vegetarian and she didn't have the best time there. So be warned.、Um, but there's obviously alternatives. They have it's a lot about salads as well. The Greek salad and what we call horta, which is literally just grass, but it's in lots and lots of olive oil and lemon. Those are the two main things that sort of Greeks: olive oil and lemon and salt, and that just like creates such a natural flavor and it's beautiful. But these other two restaurants, their fusion, it's it's. You know those sort of restaurants when you you've got kind of like the typical restaurants that are just big meals and they're pretty cheap and it's just authentic big ones and then you've got those other restaurants that have sort of more petite looking meals but the flavors are just great and it's obviously it's such a fusion it's like that new age of like restaurant eating that's like it's gone like that it's maybe a slightly smaller and it's it's presented nicely but it's still the same price you know what I mean it's it hasn't gone up tenfold. Um, but it's they've just brought that other culture and those different flavors, and I think a lot, particularly a lot of the people that come from different other countries, love going to those places. And yeah, it's the food is just it's fantastic. Whether you go to a authentic taverna or one of these two other places in Sardes, and which I still can't remember the name of the other one, <laughs> it's fantastic. The food is just great, mate. My best friend, who I travelled with, like I said, all of last year, said I asked her at the end of the trip, "Where was your favourite food?" And she's like, "Greece, absolutely." <laughs> awesome, more than euros. <laughs> more than yet, more than just I didn't even mention euros. <laughs> no, there's just so much more than that. But、yeah. there's this place in Mirana, which is、uh, the capital city. I said the port、um, that you can get a great euros. It looks over the Limani, which is the port. That's your typical yiros chips in the yiros. Well, I call it souvlaki chips in the souvlaki, and what the shaved meat and whatever onion, tomato, whatever you want inside it, and yeah, that sometimes you just want that yiros and that hits the spot nicely. <laughs> All right.、Um, 
Is there anything else you'd like to add to Lemnos or are you ready to move on? Let's move on. Let's Yeah, let's keep moving on, Tristan. So we got to know you a bit earlier as a person, but now we're going to get to know you a bit as a traveler. So mm-hmm. real quick, I just mentioned some spots that you've gone to in general. Um, mm-hmm. So, of course, East Coast of Australia, you live there. Um, you visited yep. Europe. We've talked about Greece and Albany, obviously, but you visited Germany, um, other parts of the Balkans, Bulgaria and Romania, where we met and hung out. Um, mm-hmm. You've done some time in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Singapore. You've also gone to Japan. And then you visited Africa and Egypt, just to name a few places. Now, it, in some of those travels, Thailand, for example, you did as a young teenager. So talk about some of those experiences traveling as a kid and, you know, what kind of things were you getting into then? So when I was traveling as a kid, obviously with mostly my family, mm-hmm. it was a completely different experience to when I traveled over the age of 18. My family, or my mom particularly, isn't much of a backpacker. <laughs> so we did a lot of resorts and we kind of traveled the four or five star way, which is so, so different to what I did last year. Both obviously have its perks. Sometimes when you're backpacking, you obviously just want to crave your own space and a shower, but it's a completely new way of traveling, which is I liked just as much. So yeah, as a kid, I always wanted to, we did a lot of Southeast Asia because that's a huge destination for a lot of Australians. It's cheap. It's somewhat nearby because we're so away from Europe (laughs) and every other place particularly Melbourne, which is the very, very south. So even just to get to Southeast Asia is like a nine-hour flight. But we did a lot of Southeast Asia because in school you only have a few weeks in between terms and then the bigger summer holidays. Um, So a lot of Southeast Asia, which I love the best. Um, I always from a kid wanted to plan my own things and went off and did my own things because I know a lot of my my family, my mum and dad, like the sort of, you know, like fair enough, uh, getting older, they want to relax. <laughs> they want to have like a nice luxurious holiday from working nine to five every day, whereas I just wanted to get out there and get on a motorbike, even though I didn't know how to ride one, get on a bike, get on a push bike, see as many places as I could, as fast as I could. So I was, yeah, from a young kid, not only did we go to Limnos every year, like I mentioned before, Usually we'd pick another destination either in Europe I'd go with my mom or Southeast Asia was the big one, mm-hmm. which, yeah, they're great memories and pro- almost done most countries in Southeast Asia. I don't know if you've done a lot of Southeast Asia, but mm-hmm. the culture there, also the food, because my favourite cuisine is is Asian cuisine by far <laughs> and the memories and the sights and yeah, the people just, I could keep going back there. That will always be a destination I'll never get bored of. Northern Vietnam is definitely next on my bucket list because I did the South and that was fantastic. So many great memories. And it's somewhere I think that you can also travel a little bit alone, which is nice. It's quite a safe, safe countries. Um, even, yeah, like I said, when I was a kid, I was running off constantly and I felt safe but maybe that's a kid's naivety but I think I I think I was safe (laughs) no it it definitely is a safe place um so Mm. how did those adventures as a kid influence the way you like to travel um as you got older and even now yeah um so like I said I was always exposed my family was big on sort of more luxury holidays which then I grew up obviously enjoying that was sort of 
what I accustomed to traveling. But then my first big trip with just friends, because usually if I go to Europe, mum would either meet me in Greece or another country. Like when I was studying in Prado, she came and visited me in Florence for my birthday because I was there over the July time. And then we went to Limnos and did a bit more of Greece. So the first out of Australia, I mean, big trip that I did just friends was to Japan. And then I learned, and we still actually did a lot of Airbnbs because a lot of us, that was our big trip and our families were all similar. They kind of did the whole hotel thing instead of, you know, kind of roughing it a little bit. Fair enough. Mm -hmm. So we sort of still booked a lot of Airbnbs and hotels and our own space. And then we wish that we didn't because I wish we didn't book everything in advance. So I quickly took that from that experience. Japan, fantastic, best time would go there every year of my life, have nothing. It was even doing hotels and Airbnbs, just fantastic. But we realized quickly, my best friend and I, because she also came with me on that trip, that we didn't, we really didn't want to plan anything for this this mega one that we did last year. And so then gradually, and like I said, both of us had come from family holidays where it was a bit more luxury. Everything was completely planned out. The itinerary was set. There was no wavering off it. So initially, and for me, I'm a huge, I'm a huge planner. I like planning days, whether it be at work for everything. But then I started traveling and then I realized, wait, I don't actually have any plan on where I'm even staying tonight. And then when you sort of sit in that and initially you might have some fear around it, but then you realize this is the best thing ever. I can actually do and go wherever I want, completely dictated by the people I meet, whether I want to hang out with someone more or they tell me a place that I'm really keen on visiting. And my best friend, if she wanted to go somewhere for one day, she could go there and I didn't want to do that. We could separate for a day or two, which we did oftentimes and then came back together. Nothing was planned. So we didn't lose any money because, you know, we didn't have to cancel anything. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good way to do it. And obviously there's times when we booked two tours, which sort of just gave us a, a like a, a path on where we wanted to head. One was in Turkey, which I'm actually glad we really did that tour with G Adventures because it seemed really difficult to get around Turkey and do to the things that we wanted to do. We basically ran, went around the entirety of Turkey with this tour. Um, like I said, it's similar to the Balkans. You just kind of rock up to the to the bus stop and you try to figure out where we where you go from there. But with a tour, at least for this part of it, I wouldn't have done it for any other part. Uh, it was nice to just sort of relax and have things planned out mm-hmm. for just a little while, and then you go back on it. You go back on your trip and you're like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm heading, but that's the coolest thing ever. So I've definitely changed as a traveler and I, I don't think I would ever go back to booking things in advance. I'd, I'd say, okay, maybe this time I want to do Portugal and Spain. I book a ticket there. I book maybe one night um, just to get over the jet lag. And that's it. I think that that's such an enchanting way to do it now. And like I said, completely not having come across that at all in my travels as a kid, my family certainly wasn't spontaneous. Not a bad thing. That's just how they travel. Um, we never did camping or anything like that. There was no where, yeah, there was, it was a very sort of indoor based, like academic focus, but also like luxury holiday sort of family. Again, great. But um, when you sort of 
are an adult, um, you figure out your own way of traveling and what works for you. Some people may always like to have things booked and planned and I have a lot of friends that like that and it works well for them and that's great. And I honestly thought that I would be that person because I am quite regimented and planned out and I've always had structure probably going back from being disciplined, playing, you know, sport. But the freedom is the best when you have no plans. You you don't then regret, oh, I wish I'd stayed here longer or I wish I, I could go back there. So, qu- yeah, quickly you learn, particularly on a long trip. I, I just also don't think it's feasible to be able to book five-plus months in advance. That yeah. <laughs> sounds like a nightmare to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so that is our one of our travel topics. Um, we will slide mm. into in a second. So planning things on short zero notice, short notice, and mm. also staying healthy with, while traveling. Uh, but real mm. quick, I'm gonna go back for a second. Um, I mean, you mentioned you were doing this trip for for ten months with your friend. Um, what made you decide to do that trip in general? And like, was it originally planned for ten months going into it? Did it turn into that? Why did you tra- mm. uh, decide to do that in this way? So it ended up being eight months. It was never planned on being, we didn't know. We just sort of thought a gap year. So my friend and I, Cece, who you met in in Bulgaria, yeah, we met in first year uni. She's a year older than me, um, but she was doing a, core, you know, a unit that was a core because we both have a Bachelor of Science, but she has a different major than I do. So we met in first year uni her second year and we became friends instantly and we always because we're always going to finish sort of similar times Cece and I both like to pan out our degree because we we didn't really need any urgent rush we both had full-time jobs as well pretty much the whole time throughout our degree so we only kind of did three units instead of four we're always on the same page um uh and just wanted to take our time finishing we did we did a lot of other travel like in Australia together and like I said we went to Japan so, and I took a semester off to do something completely different, which was plow snow for a semester. So I, I took my, I, I took my sweet time finishing my degree. And I also then got to save up more money instead of just focusing on studies, which worked out really well. So we had in mind that we always wanted to do this trip. We didn't know where we were thinking half America, half Europe, um, we Yeah, we thought that, okay, well, let's plan it. We went to a travel agency like a year before and then they gave us so many great ideas, which was great to talk to. We never really ended up booking much through the travel agency because we realized quickly just really wanted to grasp more ideas and actually have a strict itinerary planned. Mm -hmm. Um, Although at that point I was still like, oh, wow, maybe I should at least have the first two months booked in advance. But, But the first two months for me was doing that, well, the first month was doing my forensic course in in the Netherlands. So that was, I guess, sort of planned because you're, you're staying at the uni, like college living, I imagine. Not that I've ever had the luxury to do American college living. Um, certainly different to Australian university where usually people stay, are still living with their parents. Nonetheless, um, so we did, we had something planned and it was actually really, it worked out well for me because she ended up having to do another semester, which was the start of the year. And then I knew I was starting my forensic course in June. And so then by the time I finished at mid-July, that's when she would probably be able to come over anyways because that's when she'd finish her exam and semester and packed and, you know, had two weeks to sort of sort her stuff out. So it worked out kind of well. 
we were going to originally do it at the start of the year and just, I don't know, go as, as long into the year as we wanted to. Honestly, I would have probably kept going um, if I had more money. <laughs> but it was, we sort of, it ended up being for me about, yeah, almost eight months. And yeah, like I said, it wasn't, we extended it. We did have a flexi flight booked, which, um, piece of advice, don't book those because they're not actually flexi flights. <laughs> booked for the end of November. Um, and then I would have come in June. So that would have given me about six months, but we were absolutely not ready to come home in November. Yeah. So we just, we ended up losing a lot of money actually trying to rejig that, but it was worth it because we kind of got to experience European winter, which I've never done. We've never, you know, we don't really have snow much in Australia. Uh, and I thought I've always been a summer person, well, particularly because I always come in the our winter, I escape the Australian winter and go to European or wherever else in the Northern Hemisphere's summer. But I really enjoyed seeing three different seasons, spring and winter. They all had their enchantment and I'm glad that we did that and and spent Christmas as well in somewhere that was snowing and that was both of us really, really wanted to do that no matter what, it, even if we we – um, spent our last bit of money we were determined to have a white Christmas so yeah it was it was nice it ended up being that long and we ended up coming home together early-ish January we came straight home together so it was nice even though we didn't start the holiday together or the trip together we came home together and yeah it was something we like I said spoke about for years and years and I'm glad we made it happen because we realized in Japan we're like yeah you know, when you meet those people that you're like, yeah, I can travel with you. Yeah. I can travel with you for a long time. You just have that connection. We don't, there's no expectations on each other. We're not going to be by each other's side constantly. We're okay with doing our own thing every now and then. It just worked so well. And when we went to Japan, we weren't even that close, like as close as we are now. Mm-hmm. So, but, but we got so close from that trip because we traveled the exact same way and it was fantastic. So we knew, yep, yeah, I've no hesitations about traveling with you for this long at all okay and um let's go back to or let's move now to uh you know planning things on zero notice it's funny because you started earlier as far as you know um going to the agency (laughs) trying to plan figure out a year out in advance (laughs) what i'm gonna do to eventually evolving and kind of just doing things last minute so yep and you mentioned of course being a back big big planner in general um Mm -hmm. so what were some of the more difficult things to adjust to as you kind of got more used to planning things with zero notice yeah good question so i would have thought the hardest thing to be to get used to with that is cc and i my best friend and i would want to do different things and so planning at last notice then neither of us would be able to make up our minds or one of you know we'd kind of clash in that respect. But we kind of have opposing personalities where I, again, would be like, all right, what do you, what do you think about going here? Very last minute again. And she just is like the ultimate chiller. So she'll, she'll, if she wants to do it, she'll make it known. But if she doesn't want to do it, she'll also make it known. But most of the time she'll just go along with the flow. And so that was really complimentary. A few other things, I suppose both of us have back issues. <laughs> so it made it difficult sometimes to not have a place to stay that was as comfortable because we, the one thing we should, we learned way too quick, we're both big on clothes and fashion <laughs> and looking nice. 
And honestly, I had to chuck out half my clothes because I just couldn't carry the damn things. Yeah. It was just too heavy. I should have gotten a backpack. I ended up breaking my suitcase in Berlin, actually. So I ended up getting just a, another one that had some straps. Um, luckily, a lot of people in the hostels are very kind enough to, particularly when there's no elevator, carry your bags up the stairs. But that actually is maybe a little bit of a different one. But so then that was maybe the only thing that was really hard to adjust to for going with the flow because sometimes. Like I said, if you rock up to a bus depot and we think because somewhere online or someone through word of mouth or Chinese whispers has told us there's a bus at 3 p.m., we get there and we realise it's not till 8 p.m., well, we're not going to sit there because we're not that sort of people. We have to carry up. We want to get as much out of the day as possible. So we go back to the hostel, try to carry our bags. Usually, um, you know, some places were quite cheap so we could just get a taxi so that's not a problem. But, yeah, we did a lot of extra moving you know with heavy equipment but then we realized the best way to do that is to just ditch thinking what we want to look like is good and just wear like the same outfits most days and and so what we did mostly is yeah leave clothes at different um charity uh hand-me-down shops Hmm. so we kind of got used to that way as well because you can't really have both we couldn't you kind of have the luxury way of traveling and lots of clothes and big suitcases or you have the other way, but you can't really bring the big clothes, big suitcase and lots of clothes with you because <laughs> it's just way too difficult having trying to lug that all throughout the cobblestone streets of Dubrovnik, for example, or um, chuck it on buses, every bus that you change in Turkey. So... Yeah, we did We did a bit of a 180. We started from going to a travel agent and planning things. One of the best things that did come from that, though, is the, the tour that we did in Turkey. It didn't actually end up being a really traditional tour. It was a lot of free reign, but it's just the people that we made friends with and the places that we went were spectacular. Pro- along with Albania, Turkey's probably one of my favourite places on this earth. And so if we didn't go to that travel agent and hear about that tour even though it was shockingly organised, but I think that's just also Turkish time. We had the best time. And then after, once Turkey finished, because we kind of had things planned from then, we had, before that, we had Lemnos, which obviously we had a car. There wasn't much planning that needed. I know a lot about the island. Greece, we had planned in advance purely because, like the Greek islands, because we thought that it would be too expensive in peak season in August to get a hostel or get anywhere uh last minute which actually worked out relatively well if anywhere was to book in advance it probably would have been anything in the peak times because we didn't do hostels we did hotels because we were with another friend a few friends actually and so from turkey was really the cc and i are on our own we've we've met all our friends in berlin we've done turkey we've made friends there we're with big groups of people and then it was cc and i by ourselves with no plan for about eight weeks before we needed to be in Budapest and in that time that's obviously when I came to Sofia and met you mm-hmm. so we had we yeah had no plans we just sort of booked a night or two just like I guess you did as well and then see if we wanted to stay there longer and adjust from there <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> as you do I wasn't even supposed to stay in Sofia I was I was supposed to pass no. to Romania and ended up staying there for a month so yeah um <laughs> oh, that's just what happens though isn't it <laughs> absolutely uh, I always, I hope you did that hike I told you th- about. <laughs> you were there for a month. I'll go back and do it. I didn't do it, but I'll go back. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so how long, how long would you say did it take for you to sort of really be comfortable with the idea of just, you know, planning with zero notice, if you can put a number on it? Mm, okay. About five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. And it was so, so good because like I said, my mind is on itinerary mode a lot of the time and I have now been able to, well, like just going back previously with my work with people with disabilities, I had learned the skill to be um, flexible and adapt to ever-changing, challenging situations. So I had learned that skill, but I almost, when I started, forgot about it. And then when we just were having such a great time, we forgot to book things for the next night or this is just how it happened. I was probably a two-minute panic before I realized oh wait this is kind of awesome I mean there are some there are some parts of it where you can say maybe it wastes a little bit of time like if you just rock up to the bus you may not get one for three hours you've wasted half your day or whatever I get that argument too but so this is sort of more a long-term travel thing if you're trying to squeeze in a lot in a two to three week holiday probably best to plan somewhat um but yeah, with longer term travel and when you don't really have an end date in mind, you I think you adjust. It de- again depends on your personality. And like I said, I'm a pretty rigid personality. Cece isn't. So I thought, yep, yeah, she's gonna ace this whole she doesn't mind if we don't have anywhere to stay. She's just going along with the flow. She's she keeps me calm, but then I just was around her so much and then that part of me was I tapped into that so quickly that waiting at a bus stop and like the some of the best parts of traveling is trying to communicate with someone that doesn't speak your language and then you've got the whole sort of bus depot involved and then you've made a friend for the day and it's like that's that's great like these are some of the best memories so yeah no it didn't take me long at all and like I said after Turkey when I had the um I think it was three week tour then Cece and I were like we're on our own now like we're this is what we've actually been waiting for it we've had We've had things planned. We've been with people constantly. And we know, like I said before, Cece and I are ace to travel with together. We had the best time. We clashed with some other of our friends that don't travel the same way to us. Um, but still had a great time, obviously. So we were ready to like just be day by day. Let's see where we're going. And yeah, it didn't take me long at all. Gotcha. That's awesome. Talk to me about staying healthy while traveling or trying to stay healthy while traveling. And maybe some things that you do to try to keep healthy while on the road. Yeah, that's a big one. Um, I That was something I didn't learn. That was probably harder to learn because, I mean, you don't have access to, unless you obviously got a gym membership or whatever, but you don't have access to strict exercise regimes. So what I more turned to was eating. Obviously, walking is great for the body, as everyone knows. Um since stopping tennis, I'm a little bit of a believer that harsh insults on the body in regards to heavy, heavy, heavy exercise isn't always the best to best way to go. It's I think our bodies are really built for moving, but not necessarily um, lifting or like running an obscene amount. Um, unless obviously you're training to be an elite athlete, in which there's a purpose. But I, don't, I now don't opt to put my body under that sort of strain. So traveling suited me kind of well. The biggest thing was obviously the, everyone knows sometimes the healthier, the best food 
is often more expensive. Um, but places like the Balkans, you, it, obviously, it's all sort of the one price. There's, it, and that's just the traditional food. So we wanted to obviously also be eating the traditional food and trying the traditional dishes um, when we met locals and went out for dinner with them. But also really wanted to get a lot of the nutrition that we were like having in Australia because both of us eat quite well and exercise regularly when home. So, the, yeah, the biggest thing was walking for us. This is why we went on a lot of hikes as much as we could. Um, swimming when we could when it was warmer, not just sort of like actually swimming, like going for at least a K or two in the water and trying to keep active that way. And that's really good on our bodies. Like I said, we both have back and me hip problems. So that sort of water resistance was really good. And something I did for my health, something that I always do is, as a lot of people do, is meditation. And I've always been part of this, um, it's called Art of Living Group, and they have bases all over the world. It's it's free. Their trainers are wonderful. And we do various forms of meditation. And so before I, because when I know I'm going to be somewhere for a while, so for example, I asked my teacher here if he knows anyone in Maastricht, which is in the Netherlands, because I knew I'd be there for a month. And I could join in on their meditation classes. It's usually once a week. Um, and he does. So, yeah, they're all over the world. And so when I was somewhere for a little while, um, it wasn't always the case. But, yeah, I would go to a meditation class and it was awesome. And it was also a big thing that I wasn't really paying much attention to was sleep because I was like, oh, that's fine. I can go out till God knows when every night and then get up early and do the hike that I want to do, but you just can't do that. That's not sustainable. I mean, some people can, good on them, but it's, yeah, they may feel it later on down the track. So sleep was big. I was always, that's the one thing I was concerned about traveling. I was like, I don't, I don't do well with sound or light. Like I am very like confined sleep that I, I like it to be a certain way. But again, you just adapt. Um, I got earplugs and you just adapt and I honestly think I could sleep standing up now by the amount of hostels I slept in with noise and parties going on or it wasn't actually that bad. Most of them, um, everyone's quite respectful, but as in, you know, just someone snoring, for example, and you think you can't get to sleep, but you just adapt. Now my sleep is so good. I could do it anywhere, anytime with any cue, any place, any bed, you know, so your, your body adapts as, as well. But yeah, like I said, it's just walking a lot. Um, health as well, like the getting the right amount. I had a bit of a a throat infection sort of throughout the Balkans, and I honestly thought it was just because I I talk too much and I love talking. <laughs> if you hadn't gathered that by now, <laughs> so I was, I thought to myself, well, I'm just going to listen to my body. Maybe I've honestly just talked so much because you're meeting people every day, and that is not what you do when you're at home. Like you have during sometimes most of the weeknights you're um in your own space you might live with your partner or your parents or whoever it may be but there's there's not upteen tens of tens of people around you so I listened to my my body my throat was so sore I was feeling so sick I checked myself into a pretty cheap hotel for two nights rested my voice didn't talk to many people and then I was I was fine it was it's also about yeah listening to your body and what it wants um not as well as you know walking and and eating right and yeah oftentimes Cece and I made the decisions to get a private room in a hostel for example if money permitted 
Um, and oftentimes it did, particularly in, for example, Balkan countries or Turkey or places like that, maybe not the UK, for example. And just listening to our bodies and taking some time out because I'm a go, go, go person. The one probably thing that the only thing really that would tick CC off about me is I from the start of the day to the very, very end, there'd be activities, activities. I never felt tired. I never felt fatigued until I probably stopped. Yeah. And so she was the one to bring me back. Yeah, so also having that friend or whoever, if you're alone, I guess it's not as easy. But she's like, you've got to pull back. Like you, you've got to stop sometimes, get like a proper night's sleep or maybe just relax in the mornings. So I got super anxious about seeing as much as I could as as you possibly can. And then like as you, as someone like you, Tristan, you could just relax in a place and that's I actually took mm-hmm. that out. Like I took learning that from you and other people that I met along the way because I didn't need to be doing updine activities constantly day in, day out. It's about just being in a new place and just getting some lunch or things that you would normally do. And when I pulled back the reins on that as well and Cece and I did that, that our health really was thankful as well for that. So it's just about pacing yourself as well. No one can see every single street and every single monument and meet every single person or go to every single bar in any place. And I've struggled with that because I wanted to just do everything, cover, tick it all off. But it's not about just ticking the boxes. It's having a good time and staying healthy. And so you can travel longevity and it's about your longevity. If you don't take care of your body, however do you expect to, to travel at all long term? I think you, I think you, hit the nail on the head, so to speak, especially when you're traveling long term. Mm. If you're doing everything, you're going to burn yourself out uh, much sooner. That's than right. So definitely take your time and, and slow down when you can. Mm. Okay. Is there anything else you'd like to add, um, you know, to staying healthy while on the road, um, planning with zero notice or your travels in general? I think just with all of these things, the the common theme is, is making connections um, with people. They can help you out with everything. I met so many great people, including yourself, along my journey that helped me to either stay healthy um, or plan with zero notice. I learned things from everyone. So don't be afraid to sort of get out there. I, I There were some days when, you know, you just you loved your own space. I wanted to go off and either meditate or go for a walk and that's perfectly acceptable. Um, and, and some of the best days too are the days that I spend by myself and, you know, I'm your, your own friend as well. <laughs> you live in your body forever. So, but also the connections you make help you realize so many things and they guide you to travel the way that you want to. You learn something new and something different from every single person, even if you don't know it. And you look back on every journey and with the fondest memories of the places that you visited with the people that you did or your own company, which you end up thoroughly enjoying as well. Thank you for that compliment, by the way. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So we're almost at the end of the interview, but first Mm -hmm. I want to ask you some rapid fire questions before I give you 30 seconds of glory. Does that sound good? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So let's do it. So you did an internship as a research assistant and perform sleep-related tests. Mm-hmm. Were the tests pretty straightforward or were there possibly any wild setups or conditions you tested for? 
It was pretty straightforward. The study that I worked on was to do with sleep deprivation um, and the effect on your cognition. And it was mainly, we were funded by the American military, actually. To So it's obviously in the military, you can often be in huge prolonged periods of sleep deprivation. So we wanted to see what that effect had on their cognition and then extrapolate that possibly to um, things that commonly affect people in the army, like uh, PTSD and other mental health issues that can surface later on. So yeah, we did come, it, it, even though uh, mostly I was studying control subjects, so they didn't have any, They well, they couldn't, otherwise they'd be excluded from the study, have any cool sleep disorders. But um, in my work, uh, uh, working with people with disabilities, uh, I've come across a lot of different sleep issues and I've actually recommended or gone with them to get different sleep-related tests in the labs that I also worked at. So yeah. Okay. All right, next question. You're double jointed. What's your go-to <laughs> party trick? Oh, okay. Um, my hip's a bit of a funky one. My left hip does very strange things that scare a lot of people. Obviously, the most accessible one is the thumbs, which I can do all sorts of things with. And an embarrassing fact is the reason why my left thumb is dislocated was because I sucked it until I was about eight years old. So it's just been out of the joint whether I was genetically double-jointed or not. So it's like the most flexible one. It can do anything, honestly. It doesn't even feel like it's connected to my hand half the time because it's just so unstable. But, yeah, the left hip is a cumbersome one. I can pop it out and do whatever I want with it. I have gotten surgery for it, so it's a little bit better. But usually I can, I can yeah, do most things with that left hip. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then last one, I actually want to play a little game. So I'm okay. going to say a common word or phrase used in the States, and I want you to give me the common Australian version or <laughs> meaning, okay? So, nice, yep. <laughs> McDonald's. Maccas. Mosquito. Uh, mozzies. <laughs> Flip-flop. <laughs> Thongs. <laughs> Root. Root? Yeah. As in a... Plant or um like uh, I'm an act. <laughs> so I'm rooting for a team. Apparently, apparently it means an, a sort of act over there. Yeah, it means sex. <laughs> and cheap wine. Cheap wine. What would you call cheap wine over there? Oh, we call that goon. Yes, the infamous goon bag. Mm hmm. <laughs> All right, Amy. Is that a, is that a thing in America? Is no, goon a thing or is it just no, wine? We, we, we just called it wine, box wine. Box wine, really. That's our cheap wine. <laughs> yeah, box wine. That's a good one. But yeah, that'd be equivalent to the goon. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing beats the Australian goon. <laughs> All right, so you did it, Amy. We've come to the end of the interview. I'm going to give you 30 seconds of glory, so the floor is yours. Share what you have going on or drop some more words of wisdom. Thanks, Tristan. So... I don't really have much to add, just I hope whoever may listen to this in the future has a good time listening to it and gets some tips or whatever positive, anything positive that may come of it. And I hope one day that we'll be able to travel the, the way that we used to, at least I certainly can't at the moment. Um, and when we do, take these tips on board <laughs> and have an awesome time doing so. Absolutely. We'll get back there again. 
that was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That was a fun chat. Absolutely. Thanks again for agreeing to the interview. <laughs> no worries. It was fun. Absolutely. Like I said, I like to talk. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fantastic. But I'm going to let you go. I think you had some things going on. So enjoy the rest of your day. And I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks, Tristan. So there you have it, my interview with Amy. Thanks again for sharing your stories and insights on Albania and Lemnos, Greece. And I'll say really quick, I haven't been to Albania, but I have seen a lot of the islands on Greece. Um, again, related uh, more so with my work, but you know, definitely a lot of those islands, Santorini, areas like that for sure, can be very, very, sometimes overwhelmingly, touristic so it's just nice to hear about one of the islands that maybe has more of an authentic feel and just isn't as busy so hopefully i'll get a chance to check that out in in the future but like i said at the beginning of the episode i wanted to speak a little bit more on some of my experiences as far as being flexible or planning with little to no notice and also staying healthy on the road so first staying healthy on the road now Other than walking around wherever I go often for the most part, I honestly can say as far as working out or staying active in some way, I've done very little in that area, at least when I've been on the road and my own adventures. Um, You know, for those of you who know that I've worked on ships, that's a different story. But even then, I would get into short phases where I would do the gym religiously and then kind of fade out. But... Anytime I was on the road doing my own thing, very rarely would I do a gym or anything like that. But that said, as Amy mentioned in the interview, of course, if you are a part of a larger network as far as gyms, you would be able to find gyms that are part of that network or brand or company around the world. And you should be able to use them at least at a discounted price. Um, I remember actually, I met a guy in Asia in Thailand, who I believe was doing CrossFit at the time. So, you know, it was sort of the situation for him. He would find different uh, CrossFit gyms and whatever brand it was. I think he was actually from, he was originally from Europe. So um, just for reference, but he was able to connect with gyms in different areas. And like I said, a very steep discount since he was, you know, connected to that brand or that network. And he would make an effort to go for classes. So you can find something like that. Now, of course, depending on where you are, even if you don't have a network that you're already a part of, you can easily find a gym for pretty cheap, Um, whether it's a normal gym or, again, something more specialized. Maybe since I mentioned Thailand, maybe you can do a Muay Thai class for fairly cheap, even if you are in one of the bigger cities. So the general area that you are can make that a little bit easier on the pockets as well. So you can keep that in mind. And then of course, you know, especially if you're in a a city, not necessarily a bigger city, but if you walk around, you're likely to find, you know, those machines outside, sometimes if you're at the beach as well. So they'll have the free equipment that you can use. If you're the kind that is into working out and absolutely need some sort of machine, you can look into that as well. And again, it's friendly on the pocket, so 
And then, of course, you can use apps that focus more on home-based workouts that you don't need any equipment at all. I know, at least for Android, I'm pretty sure it's for Apple as well, or you'll find something on, on iPhones. But I use um, Home Workout. It's literally just called Home Workout. I know they have a lot of other apps as well that maybe specialize for arm workouts or leg workouts specifically. But you can look into this app. It's a free app. You can pay for extras, but everything you need will be in Home Workout or one of their related apps. So you can look out for that or anything similar and just make the time to try and do a workout. Again, I know another guy who I met he was around actually in the hostel for at least a week, I believe. So we got to know each other for a decent while. And he would make an effort, literally just at least 10, 15 minutes a day to do some sort of workout, whether it's sit-ups, push-ups, at some point in the day. Of course, whatever works for you, doing it at the start of the day, end of the day. But he'll find his little corner in the hostel and get that little workout in and then make the most of it. A little bit goes a long way. So I suppose lucky for me, the metabolism has been friendly. So, <laughs> but I would say those are options if you want to work out and as far as a proper gym or making your area work for you. Of course, you can find pools and things like that as well. Like Amy referred to, again, whether it's at the gym or even local hotels in the area, a lot of them will have a pool available likely. Whether you pay or even pretend to be staying there and just get in. So <laughs> as far as food, yeah. Um, of course, everyone's working with a different budget and your area, wherever you're traveling, can play into it. But just definitely be mindful of what you're eating and not even necessarily what you're eating, but that you're eating enough, whatever it is that you need. A lot of places or a lot of hostels, I should say, depending on where you are, especially in Europe, will have kitchens. So I know, of course, eating out all the time, things like that, it adds up. But if you need to, of course, you can buy your groceries, keep it more on the budget-friendly side, and then make your own meals. So that's good to know as well. Asia, compared to Europe or Australia, areas like that, you probably won't find hostels with kitchens as often. It's cheaper, so there's that. It's just easier to buy food. Of course, you'll find some that will, but... Keep that in mind. Beyond the food and working out, if your general health is a worry for you as far as getting sick, of course, whatever medications that you may use regularly, make sure you're well-stocked on those things. And if you like, you can travel with travel insurance. Um, I've actually never, never used travel insurance or never purchased travel insurance, but there is a great company I've known about for years and considered at times to buy plants from them, but I've met people who've used it as well. Worldnomads.com, or just World Nomads, but they're a very reputable insurance, travel insurance company. I can't tell you for sure as far as their the prices for the policies and so on, because it really just depends on where you're from and where you're heading to. But again, without hesitation, just for me knowing of it for so long and many people who have used it, you can look into that for travel insurance in general. To talk a little bit more about that as well, I know in general, some places, depending on where you go, it could be beneficial to get certain shots or be up on vaccinations, things like that, before you head there. 
again, me personally, of course, it also plays into the places I've gone, but I've never gotten an additional shot or booster for anywhere. Uh, For example, like yellow fever for Brazil. Not that I've gone to Brazil, but you can look into things like that as well. Maybe if you did plan to do a trip to the Amazon in Brazil, then getting a yellow fever shot would be the smart thing to do. But for certain places, you don't necessarily have to get those shots done. But of course, at the same time, if that makes you feel more comfortable, then absolutely go for it. From the mental health side of things, you know, Amy mentioned meditation. I've done so in my own way as well. Definitely keep that in mind while you're on your trip, on your travels. Whether it's literally just escaping to a local park and taking a moment to sit and relax or laying in bed a little longer before you start your day just to relax. Or even if you need to, get your own space and retreat for a little bit. Always keep that in mind. I was one more so to go to the park and just chill under a tree for a while or something if I felt like I needed a recharge. And also, relax with some music in bed for sure. So, (laughs) I will say, with regards to getting sick, I haven't had anything happen to me, knock on wood, that, uh, (laughs) that was a bit more pressing. But there was a time in Thailand, in Bangkok area, where dengue was going around, dengue fever. And it seemed like it was happening often in the South. There were a lot of people I met who came from the South recently who ended up getting or having symptoms of dengue. Two friends, they actually were admitted to the local hospital um, days apart from each other. And another girl as well that I knew, she was pretty sick for a good few days. I think she kind of, I actually, I think she did go to the hospital as well, but she kind of stuck it out because she was close to going home. So, but the two friends, I actually, as a representative of the hostel that I was at at the time, I went to give them a visit, make sure they were okay. So, which goes back to the, the point of possibly having health insurance or travel insurance. I know, I know I just said earlier, I never traveled with it, but <laughs> moments like that kind of changed my mind on the idea. You know, I guess I've always felt like I'm pretty invincible. Nothing will happen to me anyway. And especially now in today's climate around the world, it's something I would definitely look into in the future once I'm fully back on the road. Luckily for those friends, they were okay after a few days. Basically, they just had to get IVs. And if you're not familiar with Dengue, it just kind of very, it drains, it drains you, just gets you a little bit weak. And, but they bounced back after a few days. Now. Being flexible and planning things with little to no notice during your trips. I know for me, that's always been one of the main factors that's made my travel so great, I think. Pretty much any time I've planned a trip, the only real planning I would do is that first flight or ticket to get wherever I'm going, right? And then from there, it's going with the flow, to be honest. Um... For example, uh, I did a trip to Peru the first time. And actually then going into it, I did have a volunteer opportunity set up. So I was going to stay eventually at a place for a month in northern Peru, but the start date was was open. So I had that flexibility to kind of choose when I wanted to start, which was great. But 
the first day I got into Peru, I flew into Lima. And like I said, no plan. Didn't know how long I was going to stay in Lima. Just kind of feel it out and figure it out. But I met some, I met a lot of really cool people at that particular hostel in Barranco area. It was a smaller one, so everyone got to meet each other pretty well. There were three people in particular who I got on pretty well with. And I think this was maybe after two days, they were actually traveling together. They they were just starting their travels as well. It was one guy who traveled with um, these two other people on different travels that they've done in the past or he's done in the past. And they were heading to the next destination, to Ica. And last moment... They just asked, they asked, they came up and asked me, he's like, hey, we're heading to Ica. You know, if you want to come along, come along. Mind you, this is, this is literally the day that they were going to go. Um, so they maybe asked an hour out beforehand. And since I didn't have any other plans, I was like, yeah, I'll go. I don't, I hadn't, I didn't know what I was doing anyway. So <laughs> I tagged along with these three other people who, like I said, got along with, but didn't know as well at the beginning because just knew them for two days but that turned into a a month trip uh going around with them so if i had some plans that wouldn't have allowed for that sort of flexibility or or didn't have the ability to be that flexible or that definitely wouldn't have happened and that trip wouldn't have been what it was another one um i mean i've done things like that often in, in my travels i went to well, even recently, the last time I was in Europe, this particular trip, I started in, in Germany, in Hamburg, which was not my first time in Germany, but first time in Hamburg. Again, didn't have a real plan after that. They were I obviously had some idea of places that I wanted to see, but the particular hostel I stayed at there, St. Pauli's, great hostel. I met a lot of cool people there, and one cool dude in particular who was his first travels, at some point, he was heading to Berlin, and he was like, yeah, man, you should come to Berlin, so on. And I'd been to Berlin before, and as great as it is, I wasn't necessarily thinking about heading that way because I'd been there before, and I kind of wanted to see some new th places that I haven't been to at that point. And he eventually left. He was heading to some spots before eventually getting to Berlin, but I'd stayed at the Hamburg area for a decent bit. But um, I ended up actually meeting some more people around that area in Hamburg, and they were soon heading to Berlin. And that original friend that I mentioned, he was going to be in Berlin around the same time as well. So at that point, I was like, you know what? I know I said I wasn't going to go to Berlin or wasn't really thinking about it, but I ended up going to Berlin again with, with that group, and we all kind of met up and had a good time there as well. So again... If I'd had some set plans, that would have um, not allowed that to happen or didn't have that flexibility to, to just make that decision. Those moments wouldn't have been what they were. So as Amy said, you just get a lot of flexibility in your choices and what you want to do. Of course, this all works better when you have more time on your trip. But even to a, even to a lesser degree, if you do have a shorter trip, you can still sort of do things like this. To give an example of that real quick, uh, the shortest trip I've intentionally done was two weeks to the Dominican, Dominican Republic, actually with a friend. It was the only trip I've done with a friend from home, um, which is interesting. But even that trip, we'd, we'd plan a little bit, obviously, as far as where we'd fly into. But 
and had some spots in mind, but we didn't have the full thing booked out. We kind of went with the flow. And it was fun because uh, the friend that I went with, it was sort of like me showing him the ropes of how to go about it. He'd been wanting to travel in some way for a while. And that was the first time that our, our free times had aligned and we decided to go for a trip last minute. I think literally, literally a week. And we decided to go a few days after making that decision. So we started in Santo Domingo and from there, just meeting people and, and talking to the, to the locals or the expats that were there for a while anyway, they kind of gave us more information on places to head to next. And we kind of did it that way. So again, of course, I know maybe that sort of style is it for everyone at the beginning, especially if it's a shorter trip, you have to have all things planned out. And I, I get that to an agree, but one that can get very tiring really fast. And two, it's just nice to give yourself a little flexibility to change things up. If it's more of a vacation travel, there are people who come to places and stay in hostels, but it's more of a two week break from work and that's fine. But maybe if you give your last few days of that sort of trip, nothing planned, maybe that could be cool. I don't know. But to give a, a contrast based on my experience as far as trips that I've sort of planned out a bit more, the second time I ever came to Europe, I kind of tried to travel with more structure and just staying a week or so in each spot, at least for the first half of my trip, because that one, again, I had a volunteer opportunity lined up. But this time uh, there was a specific start date. So I think maybe let's just say the first month leading up to it, I had some time to do as I'd like or first few weeks. And then I had to be in Croatia, Zagreb for hostile volunteering. So like I said, I think I started in Italy that one and I did a week in each spot wherever I went to, um, Naples, Florence. That was also the, the first time I actually went to Berlin and so on. But to me, that actually felt much more rigid compared to Peru, which I did before. Yeah, there were times where maybe I met some cool people and they were going some way, but I said, oh, I'm actually heading this way and, and stuck to whatever I was doing. Had buses and things booked a bit earlier than how I did in the past and kind of abided by it. But by the time I got to the hostel in, in Croatia to volunteer, which I stayed a month in at the time, for the latter half of that travel, I decided, you know what, I'm not going to be as rigid or at least my idea of rigid and kind of go back to just going with the flow of things as far as my planning and while I enjoyed the first half of the trip that second half just felt much more enjoyable I even uh, I went to Budapest which is always fun <laughs> but I met a uh, cool group of people there and around that time we ended up going to to Poland after that to um, Krakow which is a great place as well and Around that time, it might have been right before actually getting to Krakow, I was debating, or I had a friend who was getting married back home uh, who invited me to be in the wedding. And I did actually want to go to the wedding. And it might have been right before going to Krakow or right after. I had a, it wasn't a return flight, but I had bought a flight at some point in my travel to get back home at a certain time for the wedding. But a good few days out before it. But at some point at the meeting of the group, I was actually debating not skipping the wedding, but 
staying out a little bit longer than I had originally intended, I was thinking, all right, maybe I might actually skip this flight and stay a little bit longer with out here with this group because I was really enjoying my time with that group that I was traveling with that I met in Budapest. I think it was about five of us. It's just so fun. And yeah, I ultimately skipped the flight uh, on purpose. Just looking at my funds, I was able to afford another flight that was a bit closer to the wedding date um, and get back in time with enough time. So again, just another idea of being flexible. I'm sure not everyone would actually skip the flight. It is a uh, you know, decent price. So I get that. Don't have to skip out a flight. But in that moment, I made that decision. You know, I want to spend a bit more time with them. And like I said, I skipped the flight, bought another one and spent those few extra days. I think it bought me an extra week, basically. And I enjoyed that last week before I went back home at the time and enjoyed the wedding as well. So, <laughs> but overall, you know, within the realm of your travels. I just think being able to have that flexibility and being okay with planning with little to no notice, of course, just gives you more options to be spontaneous in your travel. If you're one who needs to have more structure in your travels, that's okay too. But I would I would say maybe give yourself at least two days, not as structured. Of course, it doesn't have to be as big as far as going with uh going with a, a group of people you met to another country it could be something more simple as far as instead of having something planned for that particular day maybe you find a group that's going i don't know some sort of excursion around town and you decide to tag along with them maybe it was something you weren't thinking about doing before and just heard about it again just give yourself the a little bit of flexibility to create such moments because if you are scheduled to a T, maybe you'll be more effective in whatever you're doing and getting things done and seeing things, but you'll miss out on those other moments as well. So personally, I don't think I can ever plan things out to that level. It always made me laugh. Uh, to be fair, I'm not sure as far as uh, these particular people, how long their trips were and, and the time that they had, but it always made me laugh when I if I'd see someone in a hostel somewhere on the side, sitting for hours, writing out their notepad, planning out the whole trip, and then catching up with them later and them sharing like, yeah, I've got everything down to a T for the next two, three weeks or so. I, I, I couldn't do it. <laughs> but anyway, if you have any comments, questions, or stories related to any of the topics we talked about, staying healthy while traveling, planning things with little to no notice, Maybe you've been to Albania or Lemnos. Are you more of a planner or do you prefer to travel with a little more flexibility? Give me a shout. Contact at backpackerssociety.site. Of course, you can always leave a voice memo as well if you like. If you send something awesome, maybe I'll read it on a future episode. Thanks again to Amy for joining me today. Thank you for listening. And until next time, be well. This has been the Backpacker Society Show. Click the link in the episode description and head over to backpackersociety.site to see our show notes, where you'll get access to information mentioned in the episode.